0: Uh, the, the title of the message today is this, no comparison, uh, freedom of uh, future glory. There are several freedoms. Uh, that we find in Romans chapter eight, and I've been bringing those up each week. And, uh, and we don't do this just to try and bore you or be repetitive, but hopefully you'll learn some of this stuff and know it, uh, in the future. But in, in verse one through eleven in Romans eight, we're told that we have, as believers, if you know Christ as your savior, you have freedom from judgment. And that means there's no condemnation. Not just when you get to heaven, but right now it says there's no condemnation because Jesus has already been condemned, uh, for all of your sin on the cross when he, when he died. Uh, last week we looked at verses 12 through 17, and we see that there's freedom from the flesh. In other words, we don't have to live like we used to. We don't have to obey our old nature. Instead, we can actually live for God the Father now, so there's no obligation for us to live like we used to. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago today, we're going to talk about, uh, freedom uh, for believers that's actually found in the reality of this future glory that Paul starts talking about in the verses today. And when you think about the future glory and you compare it to here and now, there's just no comparison uh, between the two. And then we're going to finish up in Romans 8 by talking about uh, how there's no separation between us and God. Nothing can separate us, and that's a great freedom that believers have because we know that God loves us with an everlasting love. And uh, we ought to have confidence in that and understand uh, that there's no separation. And that ought to give us a, a lot of freedom uh, in our lives. But today we're in, in verse 18 through 30. If you'll be following along uh, in, in your Bible, and like I said, the topic is no comparison. Uh, we're talking about the freedom that a Christian has, a believer has, uh, just from knowing there's this thing called future glory. Paul brings up the, the idea of glory or the thought of glory in verse number 18. Look what he writes here. He says, For I consider uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not to be or are not worth comparing uh, with the glory that is to be revealed uh, to us. Um, in verse 17, he just had mentioned this. He said, And if children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Now, don't let that flip you out a lot. I told you last week that, you know, if you read that in the wrong way, and don't pay attention to everything that Paul's already written in Romans. You might think, well, you're only going to experience glory if you've suffered with Christ. The reality is this. In Romans 6, we were told we have suffered with him. Amen. We were crucified with him. Uh, so, doctrinally, you have suffered with Him as far as God is concerned. Practically, you may have to suffer uh, for Him as you stand for Him in this world. But He brings up that that idea of suffering, and that might worry or be fearful to people just a little bit. So, verse 18, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write the words that we just saw a minute, moment ago. Uh, next slide, please, and I'll just read it from that one because that's where the words are, the word studies. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us or that could literally say in us now now look at some of the words that he uses there now depend on the translation that you have in your hand the one i read this morning the english standard version uses the word consider uh you know it also some translations have the word reckon that's our redneck version amen uh because we say I, I I reckon uh so, you know, in in, in the South and in, and everything. Now I'm joking about that. Somebody's gonna take off from here and say the pastor was saying that the King James is a redneck version. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that this joking. And everything, but but the word means to take an inventory, to estimate. So so what Paul's doing, he's comparing some things. He's he's kind of evaluating something, and and he says that he 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 considers taking an inventory that the that the sufferings that we experience in this present time, not worth comparing. And, and, and the word there means absolutely not, not even deserving or suitable to try and compare the two uh, of the glory. And, and glory means very apparent. I mean, there's going to be a, 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 a very apparent thing that's going to happen in the life of a believer uh, one of these days. And you'll see it as we go through the message today that that reveals God's glory fully for all time. Uh, and, and he said that it is to be revealed in us. And that word reveal means to take off the cover, to disclose. Uh, it's the idea of an artist that's made a sculptor or a painting or something, and uh, he's got it covered up and getting ready to reveal it, you know, to a group of people that came to the showing, and it's covered up, and then all of a sudden the uh, the artist walks up and he pulls the cover back, and, and there you can see what it looks like. Uh, what he is saying is this, there is coming a time that God is going to fully reveal us as believers, those who know Christ as our Savior. You know, He, he can give pictures and, and images of His glory in us now. I'm not saying it can't happen now, but but I am saying that there's a time in the future that Paul's writing about here that, that God is more or less going to... Fully glorify us. Jesus is going to come back, take us home to be with Him. We'll be given glorified bodies. And then when we return into this world, all of creation is going to see God's children, God's sons and daughters coming back as we will be just like Jesus. And it's going to be like God pulled the cover off and said, look at my work of art. Look at what I have done with the lives of sinners. Sinners that rebelled against me who've been saved by my grace. Changed by my grace. And now they're ultimately transformed. Look, they have my glory. Now, that's what he's saying. The sufferings of this present time that he talks about here really alludes to the, the impact of the curse. Because when, when Adam sinned, all of creation... And creation wasn't designed for the curse. It wasn't designed for the thorns and the thistles and the sweat on the brow and the pain and childbearing and, and, and everything that, that, that exists because of, of sin. But when he writes about the sufferings of this present time, he, he, he's saying all the impact of the curse because of sin and Adam chose sin, all of creation came underneath this, this curse. And he's saying that what exists now because of the curse... Will not compare at all to what has, what God has planned in the future. To, to the glory that will exist in the future when God pulls the cover off and displays believers as we will be, as He already knows we are, but as we will be in that moment in time. Truth of the matter is there's suffering right now in the world, isn't there? And we may have to suffer. I'm not talking about just because of, of of stands that that you make for Christ. Sure, you you might have to suffer in our culture because of that. But but as a result of the curse of original sin, they're, they're suffering. All, all of you ladies that have had a child, the pain that you experienced in childbearing—that was part of the curse. So it calls suffering. All all you men that. Go out hunting or something like that and you're out in the woods and you get caught up in a bunch of briars. Mike's familiar with that because he coon hunts in the dark and you find briars in the dark, don't you Mike? And, and, and you get in the midst of that and that causes some pain and, and, and suffering. That wasn't God's original plan, but that was a result of, of sin. So, so there is suffering in this world. There's suffering in creation right now. But there's coming a time that Paul is writing about here when all of that will be in the past. All of that will be gone. None of that will still be a reality. One day in the future, the curse will be completely gone. And even though you might have to endure suffering now, there's going to be glory that you'll experience when Christ returns. so much glory that you won't even think about what the past was like. But not just... Not being able to compare the sufferings of this life now with the future glory. Think about this. The best life can be right now. You understand what I'm saying? The very best you can experience in this world. Guess what? It still doesn't compare, does it? It still will not compare to the glory that Paul says is going to be revealed in us one day. The very best life can offer. There's still no comparison. It doesn't compare with the future glory that we have Awaiting us because of our freedom in Christ. Think about some things he's already talked about recently in Romans chapter 8. The glory of sonship. (laughs) You and I become the sons and daughters of God? Wow. The the glory of being able to call God Daddy, Abba, Father. The, 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 The glory of eternity in heaven that that Paul promises us because of our, our faith in Jesus that God gives us the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. All of that's glorious stuff. And none of that in this world, the very best of this world, can't compare. Now, if you're a child of God, you ought to agree with that right now. Amen? We're going to look at two... Two main things today about this glorious future that Paul Paul brought up the topic, and that's why I went ahead and dealt with verse 18. He brings up the topic of glory and and how God is going to reveal His glory in and through us at a time in the future when He pulls the cover back and He says, here's what my people really look like. But let's look at two main things about this glorious future. The first one is this. We're going to talk about groans (laughs) Groans for the future. And, and groans, the, the word that he's using here for groans really means a, a longing, a desire for the future. There's three groans that we're going to see in, in these verses, in, uh, in in verse 19 down through verse 22. And to start with, he, he's going to write, well, the first groan goes through verse 22. But to start with, he's going to write about the, the groan of creation. How all of creation, as I mentioned a moment ago, is is groaning, wanting to see what we'll be like, wanting to see the curse removed, wanting to see Christ come back, wanting to see believers in, in all of their glory looking like Jesus. Here's what he writes. He says, for the creation <clears throat> waits eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. In other words, all of creation didn't want to be put under the curse. It was Adam's fault. It was man's fault for for choosing sin. But because of him who subjected it, Adam who chose sin and then God in delivering the curse against sin, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been grown in together in the pains of childbirth till now. Paul gives us a picture of all of creation. Not just people that know Christ as their Savior, but all of creation, all that He has made because it's underneath the same penalty of the curse of sin. All of creation is grown and all of creation is longing to see the glory that awaits. Some words that he uses there. The word for, for, for waits means to expect fully. You see, if you're waiting for something to happen, you're really expecting it to happen. And he's saying that it's not, you know, some, uh, something that creation just is ignoring or doesn't think it's going to happen. All of creation is expecting fully one day. It says it's waiting with eager longing. And that means an in intense anticipation. Creation just can't wait to see what Christians are going to look like one day when we return. For the revealing. That same word we looked at a moment ago that means to pull the cover off. God's going to reveal His children to be all that they are. See, all creation has grown in, in Genesis 3, 17. The, the Bible says, cursed is the ground because of you. As he gives the curse to Adam. Adam, because of what you did, even the ground, this creation, this earth is cursed because of what you have done. So that same creation being under the curse is longing, desiring for the deliverance that's going to be brought through the second Adam. The first Adam messed it up, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ fixed it and it's not fully revealed yet but creation is like saying i we can't wait we want to see it revealed we want to see the curse gone we want to see it lifted we want to see the glory of god revealed in the lives of his children when they come back there's a lot of suffering in creation isn't there i mean i'm not talking about the kind of suffering just that we do but i'm talking about the suffering that exists in creation that god didn't intend like earthquakes and floods, and tornadoes, and hurricanes, and and all the suffering that exists because of those things. And, you know, drought, famines, decay. Decay didn't exist before the fall of man. You've ever walked up on a, a rotting, stinking carcass, you know, somewhere out in the woods or something like that where something has died? You know, the smell of that, you don't know why it's there? Because of sin, that's why. It was underneath the curse of sin. There's a lot of suffering that exists. But Paul refers to it as being like creation is longing for this this childbirth to take place. It's like all of creation is experiencing pains of labor. And you ladies that have been there understand what it's like. The only way I ever experienced it was this. I went through Lamaze class. They told me that I needed to blow in my wife's face when she started wanting to push. And she looked at me like she was demon-possessed when I blew in her face. <clears throat> and, and and she wanted to hold my hand and have something to squeeze on, and then she wanted to hold my arm and have something to squeeze upon. And my wife was stronger than I ever thought she was because I had marks on my arm. By the time Bethany came around, I got smart. I took a tennis ball. And I said, here, you can squeeze that all you want to squeeze it? <clears throat> that's, that's all the, the suffering that I experienced as a man, but you ladies experienced suffering. But you see, it wasn't a negative thing because as you were going through that the, the pains of childbearing, you were longing for what was going to happen on the other side, amen? You, you were longing to see that baby and what the baby looked like. And the illustration that Paul is giving here is this, all of creation is like going through the pains of labor. but all of creation is longing for it to be over with, to get on the other side of it, because of all of creation that's under the curse right now wants to see a new heaven and a new earth. All of creation wants to see a new creation. All of creation longs to see the sons of God, the children of God, return when Jesus comes back. Matter of fact, when you read this in in the Greek, it kind of gives this idea. It gives the thought of all creation is standing on tiptoes, trying to peer over, longing to see Jesus come back, longing to see what Christians are going to look like, longing to see the glory of God revealed in their lives, longing to see the curse lifted, and all creation is so groaning for it, it's like creation's on tiptoes, waiting to see it happen. It's a pretty good thought, isn't it? All creation groans because creation wants to see God's glory. Creation itself, it said, will be set free from its bondage of decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's why creation is groaning. Not just the groaning of creation, but, but the second groan I want you to see in, in this text that we're looking at today is this the, the groan of Christians, the groan of believers. Not, not only is, should, should creation be longing to see a change take place in God's ultimate glory. If you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to be groaning and longing in yourself to see it happen. Verse 23 <clears throat> said in not only the creation, but we ourselves, talking about believers who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Not only should creation groan, if you know Christ as your Savior, You should groan. Look at some of the words that Paul uses there. The word groan means to to make or be in straits. In other words, you're kind of in an uncomfortable situation. You don't really like it. So because you're in this uncomfortable situation that you don't really like, you're sighing and maybe even murmuring prayer inside of yourself. That, That ought to be the way a Christian views... Life in this world, because life in this world is not fulfilling. Life in this world does not give us everything that God longs to give us one day. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to recognize something. It's going to be better over there than it is here. Amen? Now, some of you young enough, you don't really care about that because you've not had any aches or pains or something called arthritis pop up or anything like that. Some of us are ready to go home. (laughs) We ought to have this... This longing for it. The uh, the word wait once again means to to expect fully. We. It's not like we think it might possibly happen, we're waiting because we know it's going to happen because God has promised it. We're waiting on the redemption of our bodies. That means to be ransomed in full. Yes, our souls have been redeemed, but one way, one day even our bodies will be redeemed. So we're hoping for that. It's not like a hope-so faith. It's to anticipate what the word means in the Greek. And it means to anticipate with pleasure or expectation or confidence. And because we're anticipating this and we know God's promised it, with patience, a cheerful, hopeful endurance, or constancy, we wait for it. Even if we involve suffering, we're willing to stay underneath whatever it is, the suffering and the pain, in order for God to reveal what He wants to reveal in us. And that will make more sense in a moment. See, it's like, I'm going to date myself, I guess, again. How many of how you many have ever heard Paul Harvey on the radio? You just dated yourself, too. All the young was in here thinking, who the heck is Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey used to be a great storyteller. He would lay a story out and then you're just kind of waiting for it, you know, and then and then he'd say, well, be back in a minute with the rest of the story, you know, and you kind of had to wait until he came back and you're longing to get the rest of the story because you already had the front end of the story. That, that's the way it ought to be for Christians, for believers. We ought to be groaning for the glory that will be revealed in us because we've got the front end of the story. We want the rest of the story, amen? We've got the first fruits of the Spirit. It's what Paul talks about there. In other words, we've we've got a little taste of what it will be like because as a believer, the Holy Spirit of God lives in our lives. The, The idea of first fruits... Uh, really is, is a farming, you know, type illustration that Paul's using. And when a farmer would go out to the field and, and get the first fruits of his harvest, he was doing so with a confidence and expectation that there's a whole lot more harvest to come. You understand? The first fruits was just some of the first things that had grown in the garden, but there's a lot more still to grow in the garden to be harvested later on. That's the idea that Paul is given for a child of God. If you know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's the first fruit on the front end, but you've got a desire for the whole load. You've got a desire for the whole harvest. You've got a desire to get it all. That's what he's saying. As a believer, we've got a taste of the first fruits, but we ought to have a desire and be longing and, and groaning for it all one day out in the future. He, he brought up in Romans 8 already, Paul. Paul brought up the, the, the idea of being adopted. That believers, yes, we're born again, we're born in the family of God, but we're also adopted in the family of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as an illustration to help you understand what he's talking about. An adopted child in an orphanage can be set in there with full notice they've been adopted. But they're still in the orphanage because the day has not arrived yet for them to go home and build their new family. Don't you imagine that child that's been in the orphanage all those years, knowing that the day is coming and that daddy is coming, the new father is coming to take them out of the orphanage and take them to their new home. Don't you imagine that child longs for it and desires for it to happen. You see, that's how we are as believers. We know we've been adopted. We've got the taste of the first fruits, but we ought to be longing and waiting for the day that we actually get to go home and be with Him. Amen. I heard that longing last week a little bit and as we had some testimonies last week in the the service. And uh, as uh, we were having testimonies, Violet stood up over here. (laughs) And Violet talked about how she knew where she was going and not to worry about her whenever she was gone because she knew where she'd be. And when Violet was giving her testimony, you know what? She was talking about she had a longing to go. And that gave me a longing right then. She gave her testimony to want to go. She was worried earlier. I said, I'm going to mention you in the message. Y'all oh, don't do that. She didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> but what I said was really good because God's testimony gave me a longing to want to go. That, that's where we ought to be as believers, to where we've got a longing, a desire to go. We've got this confident expectation that we are going to go one day and be with Jesus. Think about something else Paul's already said in Romans 8. He said we can cry, Abba, Father. The, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you can cry out to God and call Him your Father. The moment you're saved, you can cry out to Him and talk to Him just like He's your daddy. And that's great and wonderful, but guess what? There's coming a day that you get to go home and be with Him. And not only can you call Him Abba Father, you can see Him face to face. As Christians, we ought to groan. Creation groans because they want to see us come back in our glorified state because the curse will be lifted from creation also. As believers, if you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to long in your heart. You ought to have an attitude like, I can't wait for it to happen. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. That ought to be the attitude that we have as believers. It ought to make us groan for it, long for it. There's also a third groan in these verses. The groan of the Holy Spirit or the groan of the Comforter. I got stuck on seas and the Holy Spirit is a Comforter. <clears throat> he said, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul writes about all of creation groaning. Waiting for the curse to be lifted. He writes about how you and I as believers ought to groan, desiring that glory that will be revealed in us one day. But he also tells us the Holy Spirit of God, who Jesus Himself called the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God groans. Look at some words he uses. He he uses this phrase help us. And, and in the Greek that literally means to take hold of opposite, together, or to cooperate with or to assist. It's like you're carrying something heavy. And somebody sees that you're carrying something too heavy for you to be able to balance yourself. And person comes up alongside of you and they get the other end of it to help you carry it and help you balance it out. That's the picture he's given of the Holy Spirit of God. Because we can have such burdens in our lives that we just don't know how to deal with it and how to carry it. Or even how to, to pray Maybe like we should. And he's saying the Holy Spirit comes along beside of us and helps us carry the load. The Holy Spirit intercedes or prays on the behalf of us. And, and the word for literally means over. He gives the idea of the Holy Spirit of God looking over our lives and praying over us. Whatever the situation is, whatever the trial is, whatever the suffering is, whatever the pain is, he gives us the idea of the Holy Spirit groaning for us in prayer, praying over us in whatever it is that we're facing. The Holy Spirit coming and grabbing the weight to help you carry it. A.T. Robertson, a quote that that I found this week, said this, The Holy Spirit lays hold of our weaknesses along with us and carries His part of the burden facing us as if we were carrying a log, one at each end. And the Holy Spirit groans and prays for us like that. The King James said, with with words that can't be uttered. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the point that you, you just did not know what to pray? Now, some smarty theologian is going to say, well, Jesus told us how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He did, but you know what? I'm talking about real life. I'm talking about, yes, we might be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And yes, the Holy Spirit lives in us. But I'm talking about sometimes in real life, because we're human, even though Jesus taught us how to pray, we get in situations that's just so burdensome that we don't know how to pray. So be honest and quit trying to be good little two-shoes like you always know what to pray. Because you can get in a tough enough situation. If you've never been there, thank God for it. But I have, and I'm telling you, you can get in a situation that you don't even know how to pray. Or what to say, or what words to verbalize or communicate. You know what the blessing is for a Christian? Thank God it's okay to be there because the Holy Spirit of God is praying for us exactly according to the will of God. What needs to be prayed. Amen. That's what he's saying. He, he's saying the one that, that searches the, the heart, he's talking about God the Father. God the Father is, is looking and, and he knows what's on our heart, but he but he God the Father is seeing the Holy Spirit pray, hearing the Holy Spirit pray. God the Son saved us. God the Father sent him to save us. God the Spirit lives in our lives. And God the Father is listening to the Holy Spirit pray over us when we just don't know what to pray. It's okay because the Holy Spirit is helping us carry the load, and he's praying exactly according to God's will. For us. You may not always be able to pray God's will for yourself. I may not always be able to, but the Holy Spirit always knows God's will and prays it over our lives. Now, let me run a side rabbit, okay? Is that okay for a minute? Some people will take this text and use it to try and teach something like an, an unknown tongue. That's not what's being taught in this text. This text said words that cannot be uttered. If you can't utter the Word, (laughs) if it's an unspeakable word, that's what it means in the Greek. It's not talking about speaking in tongues. It's talking about when you are so burdened yourself, you just don't know what in the world you ought to pray. The Holy Spirit is praying for you the will of God over your life. Man, isn't that great? What is the will of God? What is He praying for? Over us, I mean, what what is that future that that the Holy Spirit is praying for? Well, we're getting ready to look at it. But what the Holy Spirit is praying is this: He's praying that we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. He, he's praying <clears throat> that the promise that all things work together for good is based on the purpose that we are being made like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is praying. Because believers are called and justified and glorified. The Holy Spirit is praying that over our lives. It's God's will for our lives. So not only do we see groans for the future, all of creation groaning, longing to see the curse taken, Christians groaning, longing for the full glory, the rest of the story. Got the taste of it, but we want all of it. The Holy Spirit praying over us, groaning for us, and we just don't know what to pray. So that's the three groans for the future. I want you to notice two things, two main things about this glory glory in the future. Glory in the future. First one is this. There can be glory in whatever happens. Now, think about that for a minute. Think whatever happens is a pretty, pretty big deal, isn't it? Whatever happens encompasses a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? And, and I'm telling you because of what Paul writes here, that you and I as believers can still be focused on God's glory, and we can still be experiencing God's glory no matter what hits our lives. No matter what happens, whatever happens. Look what he said in verse 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, and you know, that literally could be translated the called. For those literally who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son <clears throat> in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. No matter what comes our way as Christians, no matter if you're facing suffering, or pain, or trials, or tragedy, whatever it is, I want to serve notice to you about something. God is still in control. God is still in charge. You understand that? No matter what it is you're facing, God is still in charge. And God, being God, an all-powerful God, He can take all things, no matter what it is, And he can make it work together for good. I didn't say it might feel like it's good. I didn't say you might necessarily enjoy it or you think it's good. I'm saying from God's viewpoint, God can take whatever it is you're facing in your life and he can cause it to work together in a way that's beneficial for you. That phrase work together means to be a fellow worker or to cooperate with. God can take the good, bad, and the ugly. God can take the best situations in our life. God can take the worst situations in our life. The worst things that we've ever experienced. And God can use them in a way to bring about good. And the word good means good as being beneficial. Not good that, oh, I'm happy that happened to me. I'm talking about that's ultimately beneficial for your life. Because you see, here's the deal with that. God who is an absolute sovereign God, God who is in charge of all the universe, all of creation, that includes you and me as believers, God in His absolute sovereignty, whatever that absolute sovereign God allows to touch our lives, He allows it for a purpose and a reason in order that we might be made more like Jesus. See what He said in verse 29? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, God is trying to work out His purpose in our lives, not my purpose. I want to remind you something. The Bible says we are bought and paid for with a price, the shed blood of Jesus. When He... Buys us with His shed blood. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, is what the Bible says. We belong to Him. So it's not about what we want, it's about what He wants. It's not about our purpose, it's about His purpose. And God, as I alluded to a moment ago, can use it all. He can use the good and the bad and the ugly, no matter what it is. He can use it in our lives to transform us, to mold us, to hone away at those old fleshly Edges in our life to make us more like Jesus. The word purpose that he uses here means a setting forth, uh, proposal, or intention. The exact same word was also used to talk about the showbread. In the temple or the tabernacle, there, you know, to give you a little background, if you, you don't know anything about it, you went in the temple and, and into the most holy place or the tabernacle, most holy place. There's some furniture back there. One piece of furniture was a a table that had bread put upon it by the priest, and that was called the showbread. Now think about that. Just as clearly as God could look and see that bread on the table, God can look and know exactly what His purpose is for your life. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God, I'm sure, can see the bread that was put on the table there before Him. And while you and I might not can see the purpose that God has in our lives, He sees it completely. He sees it fully. There's no question marks on what God wants His purpose to be in our lives. God can see how it all works out for good, even though it might not seem like it's good. Even though it might not be enjoyable to us in the moment, God can see exactly how He's using it to bring about good to make us more like Jesus because He called us according to His purpose. He knew us in advance. He knew us beforehand. He predestined us. That kind of flips people out. I'll talk more about it in a moment. But He predestined us to be just like Jesus. And if you as a believer have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has predestined you to be just like Jesus. And He's going to do everything necessary to make sure that eventually you're exactly like Jesus. Using whatever it is you're facing. Why? Because it said he wants Jesus to have many brothers and sisters in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Amen? If we'll just keep this in mind, because you see we do face a lot of times in life situations that we don't like and yet God is using for a purpose. If we'll keep the focus that whatever it is I face in my life, God is using it for his purpose that will help me get through it. It will help you get through it if you understand God's use it. Not just glory in whatever happens, but there's a pathway to glory here that He talks about also. You hear people talk about pathways to glory. What do you have to do to have you know glory in your life? Well, here's God's pathway to glory. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also, what does it say? What tense is that in? I heard somebody whisper it. You're scared to say it. (laughs) Past. Now hold on to that. You'll see, well, that's important in just a moment. And that that should say verse 30. I think we've got a typo on on the screen that I've just read. I want you to see four things there that's a pathway to glory. The first one is predestination. Predestination whacks out Baptist bad sometimes because, you know, see, people have fallen off the wagon too far to where they make it like God predestines people in advance to go to hell. I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. I don't think God has ever predestined anyone to where they don't have any chance but to go to hell because that would be God being a pretty unfair God, wouldn't it? I think what it is is this. God is an all knowing all powerful God, knew in eternity past, exactly who would be saved, exactly who would not be saved it It's kind of like a parent <clears throat> you that are parents can understand this sometimes you know in advance how your child's going to react to a certain situation, huh you do, don't you? That's why we push our buttons sometimes trying to get them to react that way, you know. <laughs> Space in a certain way, you know they're going to react in a certain way. Well, if we can figure that out, the God of all the universe can look in eternity past forward and he knows exactly who will receive Christ as Savior and who won't. But however you want to look at it, I can guarantee you this. What is clear about predestination is this. God's purpose for human beings was not an afterthought. It was settled before the foundation of the world because He's God and He knows it all. Amen? That's the first step, predestination. The next step is invitation. God calls. He gives you an invite. Come and be a part of my family. Come and have your sins forgiven. Come and trust in my son. Come and I'm going to adopt you. Come and live in my glory forever. He gives you an invitation. Have you accepted that invitation? He said those whom he called, he also justified. So you've got predestination, invitation, justification. You all have heard me talk enough about justification in the book of Romans. You ought to be able to tell me what it means. What does it mean? Just as if what? Just as if you had never sinned. When we receive Christ as our Savior, He makes it just like we've never sinned. That's the pathway to glory. God, in eternity past, saw us. God calls us. God justifies us. Through Jesus, and He makes us just like we're innocent, even though we're not innocent. We're sinners that deserve to go to hell forever. God justifies us through faith in Christ and makes us just like we've never sinned. And then the last step is glorified. Glorification. Means to render or esteem glorious. And like I said a moment ago, it, to our mind, right now, that seems like a future event, doesn't it? I mean, honestly, the way you feel about it. Do you feel glorified right now? It's like, no, but I will be one day because the Bible tells me that. Hey, here's the truth of the matter. God is so sure that you're glorified, He already says you are. Amen. That's the pathway to glory. God in eternity past saw you. God calls you. You answer the call to receive Christ as Savior. God makes you just like you've never sinned. And God is so sure that you're going to be glorified one day that right now in past tense, He says already that He knows that you one day will be conformed to the image of His Son. Wow. No comparison, huh? That's the thought today. No comparison. All the junk and the suffering you might face in life, Paul says, it can't compare. Even if you suffer all of your life, think about this as a believer, if you were to suffer every moment of your life from now until Jesus comes back, you won't even think about it in eternity. It'll all be an afterthought because you'll be glorified like Him. but not just suffering the very best life can be. If you're you're trying to enjoy life the worldly way, the way you think the world will make you happy, and everything like that, can can I serve notice to you about something? The best this world can offer doesn't compare with what He has waiting for us. Creation is groaning. If you know Christ is your Savior, you ought to be groaning, longing, to go home and be with Him. seeing face to face. Longing to be glorified. The Holy Spirit is groaning. Praying for you. Praying over you. Right now. And whatever happens in your life, whatever you face, if you'll remember God is working it out to make you more like Jesus, you can still experience glory right in the middle of junk. Amen. Right in the middle of suffering. The question is, have you answered his call? Have you answered his invitation so you can be made just like you've never sinned? So you can be conformed fully to the image of Christ? Let's pray. Father, God, I pray for Your children to start with that are here that already have faith in Jesus. Is that who you're writing to in this passage? You're writing to people that already know Jesus, that have recognized that they're sinners. They've recognized they can't save themselves that it's all through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. Father, help them right now to long for the future. And not just to long for the future, but to live for the future that you desire for their lives. Help us to groan for it. God, when things are tough, help us to remember that that you're still in control, that you're in charge. And you're using whatever comes our way to make us more like Jesus. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ today, God, I pray right now you would give them the faith that they need. You would help them to understand that they're a sinner. You tell us in the book of Romans all of sin and all fall short of your glory. You tell us we can't be saved by obeying the law, by good works. We can only be made just like we've never sinned, justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ. Give them that faith they need. it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'd stand as Jill leads us in a decision time and invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, I'd like to, you know, wouldn't you like to change the total dynamics of your life? (laughs) Where you could instead of looking at everything like it's junk and pain and why am I having to go through this, where you can understand God has a purpose, and a plan. He wants you to be more like Jesus, and one day you will be. So if you don't know Christ, why not come today? If you feel God telling you, you need to trust in Jesus. As she leads us in this song, the rest of us that know Jesus, (laughs) I, I don't know what we all do. Grown a little bit, maybe, huh? Long. Be thankful. Look forward to what awaits. God speaks to your heart for any reason. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day Three Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.